right, good morning, everyone. We are in Exodus chapter 7. We're going to see a couple of... Exodus, I've only been using it for two years. I'm supposed to turn it on. Exodus chapter 7. God's power and patience on display. God's power and patience on display. And real simple today, meeting, to, you're like, it's always simple. Meeting two and meeting three. So we're going to see two different meetings here. Okay? Uh, Moses and Aaron have already had one meeting with Pharaoh, and things went went very bad. Things got worse for the children of Israel and for Moses, and uh, Pharaoh did not listen. He walked away angry. Um, so now we're going to look at the second and the third meeting, but we are going to see God's power and patience on display. Now here's, as I'm studying through it myself, for the first time in a long time, it's been a long time since I've been through Exodus, and um, you know, oftentimes I think that we, as we think about Exodus, we think about the plagues, uh, the Passover, the killing of the firstborn. Um, we think about um, the Egyptian army uh, drowning in the, in the sea. And those things, uh, what they stir up is images of this, of God being angry, uh, of God judging the people. And it's true, he was judging the Egyptians. That's, that's the truth. However... Um, and, and some people have used those things to say, well, look at God, look how angry he is and how mad he gets and how impatient he is. What they do is they fail to go back to chapter 1 and start reading through and see all of the times. I mean, today we're going to see the first of the plagues. There are 10 of them. It's not like God, which, which he could have done. He could have just come and told Pharaoh, hey, listen, uh, I'm taking the people, I'm judging you for, for enslaving them. And that's all there is to it. And not, not asked any questions, not made any requests. He didn't do that at all. In fact, he continues to send messages to Pharaoh. Ten plagues. We're going to see the first of them today. Multiple meetings. I mean, it, it really, it, it, it's almost, um, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it almost gets ridiculous how many times God just, he gives chances over and over and over. So, so yes, we are seeing his power. However, as I'm going through it and realizing his power, um, I cannot help but see his patience also. We're going to see his patience with Moses and Aaron. We're going to see his patience with Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Um, and it's, it's just incredible to me. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Meeting 2 picks up uh, Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Let's begin reading at verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. And Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. Now, those of you that were here last week, you may remember that uh, Exodus chapter 6 and chapter 7, I told you they're just, they flow right into one another. But remember Exodus chapter 6 was a little bit funny because it had the story of, um, or the account of God speaking to Moses but then uh, near the end of it, all of a sudden we had, uh, we had the, the ancestry. All of a sudden we had this list of, uh, here are the children of Jacob and here are their families. And it was like, well, what's that doing in there? And then at the, right after that, there was like three verses that said, uh, so God said to Moses and Moses said this and it just kind of picked up. It was kind of strange. Well, that conversation hasn't ended and it's going right into uh, uh, Exodus chapter 7. 
Moses, um, let me see if I can go back, because what, you know what, I bet I erased, no, 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 that's right, let me read, let me read a few verses from Exodus chapter 6, verse 28, and it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord, speak to Pharaoh king of Egypt all that I say to you, but Moses, again Moses, um, he begins, he's trying to make excuses, but God won't let him. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? You may remember that Moses was saying, Listen, uh, you want me to go speak to the children of Israel? You want me to go speak to Pharaoh? But nobody's listening. So, so if, if your own people aren't listening to you, God, then why in the world would Pharaoh listen to you? And he had a good point as far as, I mean, I think. <laughs> but evidently God didn't think so. Because God... Um, he seemingly ignores that and says, listen, go talk to him. Okay, don't, don't, don't give me excuses, just go talk. Okay, um, again, in that we see the patience of God. It is, it's, it's, uh, it's good for us to learn that our excuses are just that, they're just excuses. Uh, a, a person who's good at making excuses is good for little else. And so it's good to learn that excuses, they're, they're just that, they're just excuses. If God lays something on your heart, it's best that you and I just immediately are obedient and begin to do that. So, picking it up at verse 1 of Exodus chapter 7, the conversation continues. So the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Now this does not mean what it may sound like, that God was making Pharaoh, I'm sorry, making Moses into God. What he's saying is, listen, here's the example, here's the picture. He says, I've made you as God to Pharaoh. In other words, you're the one, Moses, you're the one speaking. And Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. So it's, it's like um, uh, the, the roles that, that Moses and Aaron are taking on. It's as if uh, Moses is the one, he's like God. He's the one speaking. He speaks to, to Aaron. Aaron goes and speaks to Pharaoh. So that's the setup doesn't mean that Moses became God, okay? So in verse 2, you shall speak all that I command you. That's it. You shall speak all that I command you. Moses was not supposed, he was not responsible. This is a weight lifted off of his shoulders. Moses was not responsible for coming up with his own material. He was not responsible for, for coming up with his own message. He wasn't responsible for going into Pharaoh with something that he came up with on his own and, and say, well, you know what, I, I think this is what God wants. He didn't need to do that. God was going to tell Moses exactly what to say, what to do, and all Moses needed to do was to go in and relay that message to Pharaoh. It's really not that hard. It's nice when somebody tells you, listen, I just, just go and tell them this thing. You don't have to go figure it out for yourself. You don't have to go make something up. Just go tell them, I said this. And that's exactly what God is doing with Moses. Verse 2, you shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply signs and, and my wonders in the land of Egypt. There's that phrase again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. There are two thoughts on this. And we can, we can certainly get into an argument, and there may be someone in here who believes this, that 
God was against Pharaoh's will was hardening Pharaoh's heart. That he purposely was condemning Pharaoh. Now, if you believe that and you're a Christian, okay, I don't, I disagree with you, but man, I still love you, and I think that you're still a Christian, and is that okay? Because here's what I believe, and I may be wrong, but obviously I don't think I am because I'm teaching this, but this is what I believe. That when it says here in verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that it is not against Pharaoh's will. That Pharaoh was hardening his own heart against Moses, against Aaron, against God's message, and against God. That what is being pointed out here is, uh, again, I use the example, it's been used lots of times, I did not make it up, but the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. So God melts the wax, but God hardens the clay. Why? Because wax melts with the sun, and it and clay hardens with the sun. It's it's uh, it's it's Pharaoh is hardening his heart against God. So so yes, God is hardening his heart, but not against Pharaoh's own will. It's Pharaoh who's fighting against God, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. So God, I, this is incredible, an incredible thought. That through the hardness of this man's heart, through the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, that God is going to multiply, what does he say? His signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. That through a hard heart, through the hardness of someone's heart, that God could make himself known. Think about that. We tend to think, and this is absolutely true, that through the softening of someone's heart, that God is able to make himself known. That as Russell submits himself to the Lord, that God is able to, to work through Russell and bless other people and show himself strong uh, 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 through Russell. But as Jacob Cornell hardens his heart, because we all know what a hard guy he is, right? Bitter and angry. <laughs> If Jacob were to harden his heart, that God could actually, if he were hardened his heart, he doesn't harden his heart. But if Jacob were to harden his heart against God, that God could still show himself, reveal himself, even through the hardness of, of his heart. It's incredible. That, that, that it, the, the, the condition, God can, can use either condition. And, and so we're seeing, again, the, the power of God on display. Remember, it's the power and patience of God on display is what we're seeing in this chapter. And we're going to continue to see that through all of these chapters. But, but he's, he's showing his power, his patience. Okay, Let's move on because, uh, uh, verse 4, But Pharaoh will not heed you. Now he tells him straight up. He tells Moses, listen, I'm sending you to talk to Pharaoh. Here's what's going to happen. Here's, you know, I'm going to tell you what, you say, what to say. But Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. Verse 4, so that, what, you say like, well, well, why are you sending me if he's not going to listen? You already know. So that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. Now, this sounds so strange to all of you, I'm sure. Like, like why would God 
send Moses if he already knows that Pharaoh's not going to listen? So that God, um, so I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So that so that uh, uh, God can teach a valuable lesson. So that God is without excuse. You go, what? I don't get it. Let me give you an example from a dad. From a dad. From a dad. That's I'm a dad because I've got kids. That's why I'm a dad. And let me tell you how things worked as my kids were growing up. There were times when I would tell one of my kids, uh, one of them would come in, hey, Dad, uh, you know, Elias is doing this, or Mia's doing that, or Phoebe's doing such and such. Now, I could go and speak to the child, that, the offender, right away. But sometimes I would say, well, um, uh, I want you to go back and tell your brother or tell your sister that dad says such and such. Okay? Sometimes the reason I would do that is so that I was going to get up and go anyways and talk to the, to the child, whoever was, was, was doing wrong. But once I got in there, I would say, hey, listen, why were you doing X, Y, Z? Well, you know, whatever the excuse was. But I could say, well, listen, didn't your sister come and tell you that I said such and such? Well, yeah, but... So see, now the child is without excuse. They have no excuse. They heard, they heard a message from me. Now, it was from one of their siblings, but it was from me. And I was always very careful to tell my kids, go tell your, sibling, your, your sister or your brother that... Dad says, don't go in there, and I would have to stop my kids because they would, like, take off, like, oh, I'm going to go tell them all, everything you said. But I didn't say everything. I just gave you this one message. I want, when you go, don't go say blah, 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 blah. Just tell your brother or your sister, dad says stop. That's it. Because you know how kids are, right? Well, dad says stop, or else he's going to take away your bike, and he's going to spank your butt, and you ain't going to get ice cream for three more years, and he's going to kick you out of the house. You're going to have to live in the garage, and you have to live with the dog. And the, you know, they want to just throw in all kinds of other things. No, I just told you this. Just go tell them that. And then they would be without excuse. God knows that Pharaoh is going to reject. He's not going to listen. And God is going to judge Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Wants Pharaoh to be without excuse. God is just. God is fair. God gives chances. God is patient. Remember, we're learning about patience. And so he's giving Pharaoh opportunities. He already knows Pharaoh's not going to listen, but he's going to give him the opportunities anyways. Incredible. Isn't that incredible? Like a dad. Okay, before I go in there and just come in swinging, like, leave your bottom swinging. Before I do that, let's give your brother a chance. Go tell him, Dad said, stop. But I already know. Right? I had two girls, older girls, and then I had a son. The girls were sharp. They listened, learned quickly. My son, he did not know what was going on. And I already knew, go tell your brother, I said such and such. I know he's not going to stop, but tell him anyways. Just give him a chance. But I knew I was going to have to come in and discipline him anyways. And so God knows that he's going to have to discipline Pharaoh, but 
He's giving him a chance. What? You mean Pharaoh, who was chasing, uh, 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 who, who was who was enslaving people? This is this is this Pharaoh. Pharaoh was wicked. Let's move on. But Pharaoh will not heed you, verse 4, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, God says, when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So this is what I'm going to accomplish. The Egyptians are going to know. I'm giving them a chance. Verse 6, then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them. Just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So we're seeing the patience in preparing Moses. Now, how old was Moses when he got placed in a basket and put into the river? Does anybody remember? He may have been two, right? At the most, right? It was his baby, small baby. In fact, he was—he still needed to be nursed. Remember that? His sister came and said, "Would you, would you like me to go find, uh, uh, you know, a nurse to, to nurse the baby?" So he was very, very young. Eighty years. Eighty years have passed. The point being that God has been no doubt working in Moses all of these years, waiting patiently for Moses to develop as God developed him 80 years later. 80 years. 80 years. Some of us get impatient, like, man, hurry up, God, come on, do it. But God was working in this man's life from the time that he was born, 80 years. So he's 80 years old at this point. Aaron's 83. He's patiently preparing Moses and Aaron. And in verse 8, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. We remember that. Verse 10. Verses 10 through 13, we are going to see the power of God versus the power of Satan. Verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. We had seen that once before, right? When God was speaking to Moses, the burning bush, he said, what's that in your hand? Moses said, it's a stick. Throw it down. He throws it down. It becomes a, a, a snake. And what did Moses do? Does anybody remember? He ran, right? He ran away. He saw that snake and he ran. And then God called him back. Come and pick it up by the tail. He picked it up. Turned back into a stick. So they already know God can do this. So, incredible miracle. He throws it down. It becomes a snake right in front of Pharaoh. But check this out in verse 11. But Pharaoh also called the wise men. That's not like, you know, the three wise men at Christmas that we think about. That's not, he didn't call them. This is not them. These are his own wise men. We find out a little bit more. And the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up 
their rods. We'll read the rest of that in just a moment. So he throws his rod down, it turns into a snake. But then Pharaoh said, nice trick. And he calls together his so-called wise men, the sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, and they all brought in sticks, threw their sticks down, and all of their sticks turned into snakes also. Now, we go, well, wait a minute. Uh, Moses and Aaron have this stick. They throw it down, it turns into a snake. Uh, who, who did that? With Moses and Aaron, when they threw down the stick and it turned into a snake, who did that? God. That was God, right? Right? That was God. Well, what about these wise men, these sorcerers, these magicians, with their enchantments? They threw down their stick, sticks, and they became snakes. How did they do it? Well, the answer is in who did it. These words, sorcerers and magicians, are directly related to the occult. In other words, whether these men knew it or not, their power came from Satan. This is what might be referred to as, some people call it black magic, it's, it's not just sleight of hand type stuff. It's, it's not just, uh, you know, well, it's just a fun, you know, uh, fun thing to do or, you know, we're just going to have this at our Halloween party or any of that stuff. These, these individuals were, whether they knew it or not, were under the power of Satan and putting that on display. Satan was putting his power on display through these individuals, these sorcerers and mag magicians of Egypt. And he's able to, to uh, uh, duplicate what God does um, in, in, in turning the stick into a snake. But check out what happens in verse 12. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Putting on display God's power over Satan's. That ultimately, even though Satan was able to, to duplicate uh, the original miracle that God goes above and beyond, goes, he, he, he steps it up a notch and says, okay, you want to you wanna do the same thing? Then I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll take it up a notch. And I'm, you know, my, my one snake destroys all of their snakes, swallow them all up. Do not forget, do not forget, this is an indicator, a reminder, that Satan can appear as an angel of Light. We don't spend a lot of time in here talking about Satan. Generally, we're talking about God. We're talking about God's Son, Jesus, right? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. But don't forget that Satan can appear as an angel of light. That he is able, and his demons, apparently, that they are able to appear uh, in, in, in other forms. That it's not, they don't just show up with uh, uh, horns and, you know, and a tail and, you know, a pitchfork, you know, all red and, you know, come into your, your, uh, your bedroom like that looking for you like, hey, come here, I've got, you know, I want to destroy your life. Come with me. He doesn't do that. He could come in other ways, in other forms. Here, he's able to duplicate what God does in, in, in uh, making a snake out of a stick. But what he's not able to do is overcome God's power when God's 
causes the snake to eat up all of the other snakes. So these individuals we can see in Pharaoh's court, are, they're directly, uh, they're, they're being used by Satan. Uh, we're seeing the power of, of Satan on display there. However, God uh, is, is showing himself stronger than Satan uh, by the swallowing up of the other rods. And so in verse 13, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So just as God had said is exactly what happens, Pharaoh hardens his heart. He sees this miracle in front of him, God's power on display. And what does he do? He hardens his heart. That is, there's nothing new. I'm sure all of you have seen that, and probably some of us have done that same thing. We've seen God work, but we harden our heart toward it. Let me give you an example. Been doing, uh, I've been working in youth ministry for a long time, been to lots and lots of camps. Camp, I, don't, I don't even know how many camps I've been to. And I have seen individuals there, their hearts touched by God in powerful, dramatic ways. But I've seen other students see that and do the complete opposite. It's happened. Some of you, I'm sure, have seen it. Now that I mention it, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember that camp where such and such, I've seen it. I saw it in the first camp that I did when I got here. You see individuals being touched by God, impacted by God at a camp. And in that same weekend, you're having to send some students home because they are, they're seeing God work, but they're hardening their heart toward God. Seen it. Done it. Had to call parents. Come and pick up your student. They're, 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 uh, 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 um, uh, you know, they're getting them in the way of what God's trying to do in other students' lives. So I've seen it. Same thing here with Pharaoh. He sees God's work, but still he hardens his heart. Okay? That was meeting number two. Let's move on to meeting number three, verses 14 to 25. Now, what we see here beginning at verse 14 is once again preparing Moses for this meeting. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. So God knows in verse 15, God knows what Pharaoh is going to do. He knows that in the morning he's going to go out to the water. You shall stand by the river's bank. Now, most likely this was the Nile River. This was the source of life for the Egyptians and the source of worship. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we, uh, when we, we close up our time together. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Now again, remember, we're seeing God's patience and power on display. Here's his patience again, as he speaks to Pharaoh again. Pharaoh will not let his people go. God does not immediately destroy him, but once again sends him a message. It's like Pastor Chris speaking to his kids, saying, okay, go tell your brother that I said that, dad said, you need to stop. He's not listening. 
Okay? Pharaoh's not listening. Verse 16, and you shall say to him, so I love this, God is telling Moses exactly what to say. The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying. So God tells him exactly what to say. Verse 17, thus says the Lord, verse 17, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike. Now, keep in mind, this is God speaking to Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron. Verse 17, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink. And the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. So God's got a message for Pharaoh. He sends it through Moses. I love this. I love this. Again, it's God telling Moses, this is what you're to say. Keep this in mind that you and I, as we talk to other people about the Lord, it's not our responsibility to make up some new stuff about God. All you have to do is tell them, this is what the Bible says. Well, why does it say that? I don't really know. Maybe you do know, but maybe you don't. It's like, well, I don't really know. I just know that it says this. So this is what we're supposed to do. Well, you can't even tell me why it says that. Well, you know, I can't, but I know that this is what it says. So all I'm doing is telling you what God's Word says. It is not your responsibility, it's not my responsibility to come up with some new message, to make something up, to, to even understand all that God says or all that God does. We don't necessarily have to understand it all. I know a lot of us are scared. It's like, well, I can't possibly, you know, talk to somebody about the Lord because they might ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. And I would say, join the club. I'm sure some of you have asked me a question about the Bible, and it's like, I don't know, ask Kenyon. Let's bring him in here. Is it a time for another, like, Q&A with Kenyon? I don't know the answer to that. Sometimes people will ask me, hey, uh, what about, you know, what about, what about this verse in 1 Peter? It's like, um, well, I, I think it says such and such, but to tell you the truth, um, I, I'm really not sure right now, but when I get to 1 Peter and I'm teaching through 1 Peter, then I'll tell you what it means. But for right now, I don't, I don't know all the answers in the Bible. Sorry about that. You don't have to come up with your own message. All you need to do is share with your friends, share with your family. This is what God's Word says. That's all I got. Verse 17. Rather, I'm sorry, verse 18. No, verse 19. I'll pick it up somewhere. Find my place. Verse 19. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. So in other words, all of the water, every drop of water is going to be turned to blood through this display of God's power. This is the first of the ten plagues. Now keep in mind, God, you go, wow, that's terrible. You know, people are, you know, they're going to die of thirst and, you know, they won't have water. Yes, I understand that. Which, let me ask you a trick question. Which meeting is this? 
Does anybody remember? Which meeting is this? How, how many is this? Fourth? Anybody else? Third? One thing's for sure, it's not the first, is it? And it's not even the second. We're multiple meetings in, and God finally drops the first plague. It wasn't like he just showed up and said, All right, Pharaoh, you'll save my people. I'm turning all of your water to blood. You got no choice. You don't have a chance. Done. Boom, there you go. He didn't do that. But he warned Pharaoh. And then he sent him another warning. And here it is. He's sharing with him. This is the third meeting. He's sharing with him here. Listen, everything's going to be turned to blood. Okay? Verse 19, he tells him, this is what you're supposed to do. So in verse 20, verse 20, after preparing Moses, what we see now is plague number one. Water turned to blood. Verse 20, and Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, if that was not bad enough, Look how dumb this is in verse 22. Look at verse 22. Then the magicians, remember the magicians, the occult. This is the power of Satan. Look what happens, verse 22. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. In other words, those, those remember those wise men and sorcerers and magicians who, all, who were all part of the occult? Whether they knew it or not, they were worshiping Satan. Whether they knew it or not, they were under the direction and power of Satan, the influence of Satan. And they, as the waters are turning blood, evidently, evidently the waters are turning blood. I'm guessing gradually, that's just my own theory, because all of these guys, as they see the water turning to blood, they run and they find some fresh water somewhere. I don't know where they found it. But they run and they get some water, they bring it back, and in verse 22... They did so with their enchantments. In other words, they found, <laughs> so that the water's turning to blood. They see the fish are rotting, starting to stink. They run and grab some, whatever fresh water there was, they bring it back, and they, with their enchantments, under the power and direction of Satan, they turn that water to blood also. Like, oh, you turn it to blood? We can turn it to blood also. Now, what sense did that make? All of your water is turning to blood. You're losing drinking water, and you go find some drinking water, and you, you turn it to blood also. In their uh, desire to duplicate or, or to, um, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, to, to, to lessen the impact of what Moses did, they decide, oh, you do that, we can do the same thing. Now, here's, here's a question I have. Maybe you have the same question. Maybe you didn't think about this at all, but I'm going to throw it out there. If these magicians, sorcerers, so-called wise men, under the power of Satan, if they're able, you know, if they want to put, put their, their power on display, why didn't they turn the blood back into water? Because they couldn't. All they could do was copy what God done. 
They could not reverse it, could not make it any better. All they could do was copy what God could do. That's it. That's all they, that's all they could do. And so it says in verse 22 that the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Make no mistake. Satan may tempt you, may promise you, I can give you better than what God has given you. I can give you better. But the best that he can do is make a cheap copy. Satan can not, he is, he is unable to give you better than what God can give you. What God wants to give you is the very best. So as you get older and you begin to date, as you get much older and begin to date, and you begin to see individuals and you see some godly individual or you're praying for someone, Listen, what God has for you, who, had God, who uh, God has for you, is the very best for you. And Satan might promise you, well, listen, you know what, forget this person. You know, I've got this rock star over here with you, you know, for you or whatever. And, and you may think, well, I can see these qualities and that's more exciting and more glamorous or they're more flamboyant or they're more out there or they got more money or whatever. Whatever the reason may be, listen. What God has for you is what is the very best for you. All that Satan can offer you is a cheap imitation of what God has for you. So don't cheat yourself by rejecting what God has for you and saying, man, I, I, don't, I don't want that kind of a lifestyle. You know, I've got something better or, you know, Satan's got something better for me or I can go make it on my own. No, that's what Satan wants you to think. That what God has for you is sub, that it's subpar, that it's, it's less than, that it's not as good as. Remember Satan when he was tempting Jesus? Listen, I can give you this, I can give you that. We can turn this rock into bread right now. Let me give you something better than what your father is giving you, Jesus. Come on. All you got to do is bow down. All you got to do is worship. All you got to do is such and such. Jesus wouldn't fall for it, and we ought not either. So, in verse 23, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house. His heart is hard. He did not listen to them. The Lord had called it, verse 23, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. He will not. That's the struggle, the great struggle, is to understand that that uh, I, I, don't, I don't know better than God, that God knows better than me. And, and to submit, that's the hard part. When I was 20 years old, I got saved. But my dad had been sharing the gospel with me for several years. As I was in high school, a high school student, he began sharing the gospel with me. But I wouldn't give in. I didn't get saved until I was 20. Why? Because I knew that giving up to God or submitting to God was giving up ownership of my own life. It was submitting myself to God's authority. That meant not being in charge of my own life. And it wasn't until I was 20 that I finally realized, man, I've been in charge of my life for 20 years and I'm empty handed. I got nothing. My life was an absolute wreck. So I understood at that point, 
I think God knows way better. I think God's got a better plan. Mine's not working out. This is not working. And so I submitted to God. That's the difficult part is that people do not want to submit to God because they think that they have a better plan. Moses, same thing, or rather Pharaoh. Pharaoh thinks himself to be God. So he doesn't want to give in to this God who does these magic tricks or whatever. He's hardening his heart. So in verse 24, sadly, because of Pharaoh's, because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, so all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, his people are scrounging, digging around the river, looking for fresh water. Because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Look, a quick lesson, then let's finish up. Don't ever think that what you do, this is, this is a huge lie, that what I do is, you know, uh, uh, as long as I'm not hurting anybody. You heard that? Uh, listen, uh, you, know, you know, do whatever you feel like doing as long as you're not hurting anybody. Well, what exactly do you mean by that? Do you mean as long as I'm not shooting somebody, stabbing somebody, blowing somebody up, running them over with my car? What do you mean? Because you see, everything that I do, every one of my actions has an effect on somebody around me. I do not live on an island by myself, just me and the coconuts. All of us live in a community of people, whether it be you've got a community at home. You may live with mom and dad, or just mom or just dad, or with an uncle or an aunt or a grandma or grandpa, or maybe you were adopted, or uh, maybe you are in a foster home, but still you're in a community. And what you do there affects everybody else. We're leaving for church at 9.30. What does that mean? That means that at 9.25, you can roll out of bed and go take up the bathroom getting ready, right? Isn't that what that means? Because nobody else needs to get ready. You understand where I'm going with this? Everybody needs to get ready. And you decide, man, I'm going to sleep in until 9.25 and then jump up and get ready. You're only thinking about yourself. You go in there, you lock the bathroom door, uh, brushes and hairspray and gel and deodorant and toothbrush and uh, hair dryers. Everything's just going all at once. You know, just trying to get straightened up so you can get going. You're not thinking about anybody else. Somebody outside is banging on the door. Hey, come on, let's go, man. Aren't you done in there yet? Let's go, lady, come on. How long does it take? Come on. But you see, that I'm giving you a small example what we do, everything that we do, affects somebody else. Pharaoh's, the, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart is affecting his people, all of his people. The Egyptians, they're all suffering. They don't have water. Everything that we do affects someone. Keep that in mind. So, verse 25, seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. These plagues, as we go through each of them, I will point these out. These plagues are all a direct assault on the Egyptian gods. The Egyptians worshipped many, many gods. And each of these is a direct assault on those false gods. On those false gods. What about this one? The first plague was an assault on the numerous Egyptian river 
gods or river deities. The Nile itself, the Nile River itself, was actually worshipped as a god by the Egyptians. The Egyptian god, I don't know if I'm pronouncing these right, but you don't know either, so I'll just say them, and you'll think I'm like some Egyptian expert. The Egyptian god, Khnum, K-H-N-U-M, Khnum, was said to be the guardian of the Nile. This plague shows that he was unable to protect his territory. The god Hapi, H-A-P-I, was believed to be the spirit of the Nile and was brought low by this assault, this plague. And the great god, all of us have heard of, of this god, the great god Osiris, was thought or believed to have the Nile as his bloodstream. So it's like, oh, this is the bloodstream of Osiris? Well, then I'll show you what I can do with it, or against this false god. Uh, the, the, again, the Nile itself was worshipped as a god. There are, are um, um, records, uh, uh, what are they called, papyrus? They, they had records of worship songs for the Nile. So what's the first thing that God does? He strikes the Nile. Well, all of the water, the rivers. I mean, even you're carrying a bucket, it's turning into blood. God is attempting to show, to reveal to uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, look, I've got power over these things. Bend your will. Bend your knee to me. And he's giving him chance after chance after chance after chance. So as God is displaying his power, we're seeing his patience with, not only with Moses and Aaron as they're trying to make up excuses, but with Pharaoh, with the Egyptians. God is so extremely patient. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer this out loud. But how often is God patient with you and with me? He's patient with me on the, on the daily. On the daily. I have a bad attitude when I'm driving. Get a bad attitude at home. Uh, you know, get on social media and definitely get a bad attitude. I might speak to someone in the wrong way. I might be deceptive. I might think thoughts that I ought not be thinking. All, all of these things. And God could just say, you know what, Chris? I'm done with you. It's just too much. And boom, you're done. I'm going to get somebody else. But he's patient. And patient. 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 So as we go through and see the power, we got to see the power. we got to see that. we got to understand that the God that we worship is above all other false gods. This is the God that we belong to who can do these things. If he can do these things, imagine what he can do in your life. But we also need to understand and see his patience and praise him for that and say, man, God, thank you for being so patient with me. And you may not be as bad as Pharaoh. You've not enslaved anybody. But I think you would agree, and I'm sure you would agree, that there's been plenty of times in your life when you've been disobedient. And God hasn't immediately wiped you out, but instead he's patient. And he speaks to you and sends messages to you. What a powerful God we worship. What a patient God we belong to. That's a good dad. That is a good Abba, a good father, a good dad. Do you agree? Yes? No? I don't even know what you're talking about. Can we just get out of here? Where is Denny's? Where is Coco's? Where is, I just, can we go get a donut? And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, did you say something about donuts? Right? 
Let's pray. Father, thank you.